1: bringing like Hiro Kijima uh, uh, to that part of the world and having to meet the local community and uh, the local press and and having really genuine conversation with everyone and just meeting such a such a symbol right of the gaming industry um, and in general of all um, uh, entertainment
2: the destiny show podcast is live we are back with an incredible incredible guest on the podcast. And I am so, so excited to welcome a game developer and a video game industry legend, Mr. Nazi Nazifaras on the show. He is an award-winning video game industry professional with over 14 years of experience in the various video game industry disciplines from public relations to localizations to marketing to esports to content nazi what have you not done
1: <laughs> a little bit too much i mean that that's that's what happens when you're um you know like a a kid a kid living in and in, in, in the arab world and um you're trying to make it right um and so indirectly you're not really sure what you're good at or if you can perfect anything but at least you try to work as hard as possible and learn as many you know like learn to wear multiple hats at the same time and so um yeah it's been it's been a journey like it didn't start really in a in a, in a cool and let's say legendary way like most other gaming developer like whether they finished uni and and they studied obviously their craft and and hopefully they got some sort of an internship at a studio and then obviously you know a little job after a little job and making their way up you you don't have that right in the air world um, just because the industry is not as developed uh, or wasn't as developed back in those days so the only way was practically as they very well say it in the u.s they just hustle just gotta do. Uh, you just gotta do what you gotta do to really start making a name of yourself, and hopefully, someone will see that shine somewhere else, and and well, in in a, in a, in a sad way, snatch you snatch you out as a talent emerging from somewhere else that they didn't expect.
2: It it really does take sometimes really difficult times in your life to allow you to really gain an appreciation, but also to be able to persevere and to get to a point in your life where you're happy.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, (laughs) quite a deep thought to think about right now. Uh, But in general, when you really think about it, um, I think that's, you know, like that's what really makes us human, right? We just, we have this, uh, this constant need to fight for something, no matter what it is, right? It could be, good or bad values um it could be politics it could be anything right um some people fight for st- stupid things but those stupid things might be considered by other not that stupid right and um but you just this is this is this is how how it differentiates us from the rest of the animal kingdom right we just we have this urge we have a will to always fight for what we believe is right and so um, yeah, I think it, it was just um, a matter of like feeling that it's unfair that I don't have the opportunity to get into a career that I would love to be to be in. Maybe after these many years, sometimes I do feel like maybe it wasn't the right choice just, um, just because it's quite a challenging and emotionally draining industry in general. And I think that's just the case it is with most media um or entertainment media um industries you know music movies etc um and so you you get to a point that you're like it's it's just unfair and maybe you know like each 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 human in this world um has some sort of you know trigger feeling right um and and for me it's, it's it's just fairness fairness is is the thing that kills me the most and and that just kind of you know, boils my blood and 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 not feeling that, uh, well, my opportunities are not as great as others, uh, just because, well, I don't live in the West. Uh, uh, but, you know, I, I was still definitely more privileged, I would say, um, uh, even in that part of the world, mainly because I had a European passport, I had another nationality, I spoke many languages. So, all, you know, I had some traits that was that made things easier for me to um, to advance that fast, I would say, in the industry and, and, and get to a level where I eventually got hired by, you know, like a like a massive um, um, gaming company like Blizzard Entertainment.
2: So um, I'm Cornholio and you're listening to the Destiny Show podcast. We are live with a game developer and a video game industry legend, Mr. Nazi Fares, who is an award-winning video game industry professional with over 14 years of experience in gaming from public relations to localization, marketing, esports, and content production. Nazi has worked with over 90 global brands including GDC, Activision Blizzard, and the Bungie Studios. Nazi received over 20 gaming industry awards Shipped over 60 games in his career and helped organize over 90 events in the gaming world. Nazi also helped ship Destiny 2 in the form that it is uh, with localization. And he helped bring the experience to life for uh, players in 2014. He is currently the head of communications and localization at the 4 Winds Entertainment company and we're so excited and honored to invite nazi here today on the show nazi we're gonna kick things off for our discussion with the guardians and i hope you're ready i am i am awesome so to kick things off what was your very first job like in the video games industry
1: oh um I think one of my first jobs um, in gaming in general wasn't really, you know, what what people think about it as commonly as the gaming industry. It was more gaming journalism. Um, and um, that was a little bit to a, a callback to what I was saying about um, being in the Arab world and living there um, most of my, let's say, 20s Um And I was just trying to get in in, in gaming, and I wasn't really that good at coding or math or anything that is highly, let's say, computer technical. Sure, I knew how to, you know, build my own PC and that kind of vibe, but nothing really that would nail me a job other than potentially maybe information technology like IT work and whatnot. Um, And so I thought, okay, I'll, I'll just start. I love writing and um and uh and i was pretty good at uh both french and english so i got a couple of gigs of writing here and there a couple of articles in a bunch of you know uh, european and and american um uh, publications and eventually i got um i got found by a gaming distributor that was based in uh, dubai uh in, in the uae and Uh, And these gaming distributors were a little bit interesting because because there was no official office of any gaming publisher or studio um, in that part of the world. The only alternative you had of a presence for these for these publishers and gaming studios uh, to sell their games and to be seen there, you know, whether it's in commercials or, or marketing promotions and whatnot. So that job was pretty much in the hand of the distributors of those games, like literally good old days of uh gaming distributors, of you know, like buying a bunch of <laughs> CDs, DVDs, and 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 all sorts of different, you know, physical formats of games. And they were just basically sell them to um major retailers from 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 in the region uh whether it is you know like iconic retailers that are found everywhere in the world like the virgin mega stores or um but also some you know very local ones and 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 and, or regional ones and so um but they did far more than that um uh, they were kind of called power distributor that's that's kind of the lingo they used to use back in those days i'm not sure if it's still viable these days but um their job other than distributing was to act like a sort of marketing and communication arm of of those of those publishers uh that were dis- that were signing with them pub- uh, distribution deals um and uh, yeah and then i ended up in a, in a small company called pluto games um it was like i think number two uh, roughly biggest distributor in the in, in the arab world um and they had like a bunch of you know like a catalog of gaming publishers that they would distribute for but at the same time would do a lot of stuff like marketing and PR and whatnot and so that's how i got my pretty much my first gaming job i would say in the gaming industry um as is and uh, it was a i would say like quite a challenge, challenging first gaming job um a lot of sleepless nights and very nerve-wracking events to produce bringing some really truly legendary like i know you you called me a legend but like for me a legend is far more uh, than what i am at this at this point but um bringing like hideo kojima uh, uh to that part of the world and having meet the local community and uh the local press and and having really genuine conversation with everyone and just meeting such a such a symbol right of the gaming industry um and in general of all um uh, entertainment uh industry to, to to see how humble this person is and 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 how kind of full of life even though when you realize it like this gentleman is 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 in this is his, i think now late 50s like it's just unbelievable how much thrive and how much drive uh, this person has really to just keep on going in, in, in gaming industry, even with all the, l- the hiccups that happened in his career. Yeah, a long answer. <laughs> that was pretty much his public relations officer on, on the ground uh, there, uh, uh, introducing him to people. Uh, we organized an event. It was to promote at that time, it was to promote um, Metal Gear Rising, uh, the, uh, the sort of uh, story based on obviously the, the 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 metal gear franchise it was you know focused mainly on raiden i think platinum game was kind of involved in this as well um and they um as far as i can remember and it was pretty much a sort of rpg-ish hack and slash i would say like linear hack and slash uh, uh, an okay game i wouldn't say like the one of his best work but Um, Yeah, we were we we invited. We brought him in for a couple of days. He had you know seeing him answer really good questions uh, over radio interviews there, um, and 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 you know and and print magazine and online magazine interviews and whatnot, and just him just being so humble and so. I remember one of the best part of that whole event is that we we got a huge shipment of like basically. Like all of all of Konami's slash uh, Hideo Kojima productions, um, uh, kind of like icons, like physical icons, like uh, effigies, whatever you want to call them, Uh, just like really old, limiter limited collector edition, like from 1999 of like Metal Gear Solid One for PS One, like this beautiful stuff that were still sealed in perfect mint condition, and we just built this sort of homage museum right The uh, sort of mini museum and uh, the event um just to kind of like uh honor his legacy and how much uh how much of an impact he did to the gaming industry and how everyone was just like you know seeing these really old like Figurines and little you know and like old uh format of 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 his original games, uh some of his first uh like on Nes and whatnot it was just such a beautiful moment to see like the passion in the eye of all these people just like seeing this thing in front of them and just like it clicks it clicks some sort of memory in their mind and it was just a be- it, this is when it really made me realize that yep, yeah, this is gonna be tough, but this is this is worth it right
2: that is so mind-blowing and incredible because you know one of my favorite playstation games was metal gear solid and <laughs> it had such a profound impact on my life and such an incredible game and and my co-host will also agree um he's very fond of hideo kojima and his his games and yeah. such a that That's so powerful. Yeah. And what did you take away from the experience of working with a legend like Hideo Kojima? Were there any major takeaways or any major lessons that you can share?
1: I'd say, um, there's a there's a there's an interesting term that is commonly used in uh, the movie industry. Um, uh, it's technically a French word, um, uh, which is auteur. Um, and it's it's basically um which basically means author, right? but when you when you use it in 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 English, it's usually like taken in a sense that the person took too much like direction control over the work, right uh, so in this case, a uh, movie, uh, to a point where it's almost like too egocentric right um it's almost like glorifying iconizing etc um you know which is not a bad thing but still it it kind of diminish the work of the rest of the team right like the, the 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 script writer the writers the the you know the the visual effects people etc everyone that is working on this right um, um, crediting right you got to credit where credit is due um, and so he's the kind of person that has almost like kind of has this sense when you meet him the first time right that you cannot really like this is it this is the idea in his head um he will he will tolerate how to explain it but or or tolerate the hassle to explain it But he will never truly explain it he will just kind of open a door in the mind of people just to find the solution he wants right which is very a very strange approach of work and this is why i think a lot of because he gets involved in so many layers of the of the production of the game like i think probably more than most producers um you you really feel this author kind of vibe into him that he always needs to leave a little fingerprint in every single aspect of the production cycle of, of the, of the game, uh, whether it is uh, just, you know, like he's doing, he's editing trailers, right? The trailers of his own games now these days, just because he has this absolute passion for filmography and, and even his book that he wrote um, uh, the, the latest one is all about movies. It's all about, um the memes that he remembers from um from most of his movies and also most of the books that he read. And they're basically excerpt of um of like sort of little m- magazine columns that he would write on occasion um in a in a known um uh, Japanese publication. I forgot the name of it, but um and that's that's the vibe he's got he he, you know, he he wants to he wants to do with gaming what 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 can be done with movies right he wants to tell a story but also give a give a different um uh, uh experience for each person right which is obviously a little bit difficult to do in movie because it's mostly a linear story um but you know he wants to take you on on these multiple trips at the same time which is uh quite fascinating at this point um so i think that's that's one of the most iconic thing i would rem- that would remind me of, of Kojima um. at this point, yeah.
2: He wants you to feel something, and it, it almost feels like you're in a movie, like you're actually in a cinematic experience rather than just playing a game. Right? It feels like you're in, in the game, and I think that makes his video games so special, from Death Stranding to Metal Gear Solid 4, to all the older titles so very very special and thank you for sharing your yeah your journey with with working with such a incredible legend and do you still work with uh, Mr. Kojima today
1: um the last time I got to work with him now was uh with uh, Metal Gear Solid 5 um and funny enough um it kind of like Opens a little bit of a segue of what I do in my and my part time, uh, which is uh, uh, you know voluntary work for um, for the what is it called the IGDA, uh, the International Gaming Developer Association, and and part of the work I, d- I do there is that we're trying to build a um, much advanced and 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 um, more modern take on a a sort of policy or guideline of how. Um, The entire gaming industry should um, basically credit people that work on their games because um, you've probably seen on uh, Twitter or other form of social media that, you know, there's a lot of instances where people have worked on a game, but yet aren't featured in the list of, you know, the the credits of of the game. When you go inside the game and you're looking for your friends or maybe relatives or just in general, you're... It's just forced on you because it's part of the um end game cinematic or something like that um and a lot of people are commonly known to be removed from from these um from and you know there's sometimes we think it's because you know it's malicious intent, someone is trying to- derail someone's opportunity to prove that they've worked on a game you know to to advance their career faster, but sometimes it's just you know very common, i would say. Um, organizational <laughs> mistakes um, in this sense. And so um, Metal Gear Solid Five was my, like, it was the first game that I've worked on um, that, ga- that gave me a credit. And yes, it was a very humble, uh, special thanks. That was the best that could be done on a legal perspective and whatnot. But, um, you know, what happened to the almost... 45 to 50 games that i have worked before that right um, because i worked for multiple publishers at the same time and so I, I i had a um a little seat at the table of you know launching so many games at the same time um and it, it's just that was the that was the aspect of like why it really made me honor this person because even though i kind of left midway i left that company and i i joined another company so i wasn't working with them but i was kind of like um working as a sort of consultant on the side um just to help out because i wanted to make sure that uh, to help them on the representation about um arabic culture in that game and whatnot and to make sure that there wasn't anything alarming that might offend that culture um in the game um and so yeah I got a special thanks and this is why I I'm still you know very much um admiring this person for really giving me this you know kind of like acknowledgement that finally I am seen as someone you know like to the public eye as someone that did that worked in the gaming industry and that was my first you know little footprint um on such a large
2: moon (laughs) if you want it's so cool so nazi i want to go back down memory lane back mm-hmm. to 2014 i know that um during our previous discussions you mentioned having worked on destiny um yeah that originally did. yeah so i was always curious to learn more about that like what was your involvement in destiny how did yeah. you contribute to the original project
1: so at that, at that period uh at that period of time um I worked for another company that uh was a sort of marketing arm for um an, an independent company but it was still working with a lot of these distributors um as a sort of marketing arm uh, uh arm uh, doing you know events for them or creating marketing plans or PR plans etc um and uh and so one of the clients that we took care of was activision blizzard um and obviously activision at that time was the publisher of the original destiny and um that was basically (laughs) the closest thing i could get to bungie which got me really excited um and um just being a a huge halo fan uh, for many years and um and you know everything everything bungie just made me think like okay like this is this is a great opportunity i want to do anything i'll i'll do whatever it is i just want to support this game it has lots of opportunity has lots of potential and i felt like this is it this is our next thing right um and uh so in 2014 uh, for the original launch uh there was a bunch of tasks to work with playstation because they were the first party partner at that time if you guys remember there was like i think like an early beta um only on playstation for a couple of days and it was some like exclusive content uh only for playstation like that was yep. you know at I least that. i think there was like a year a year gap in between before they got dropped on other platforms and um and so you know like we 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 helped them out basically on the launch event and it was a, a launch event mainly for you know uh, celebrities slash you know radio um you know rjs and 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 people in the media industry basically to talk more about the game and to 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 kind of wow them right like because like most of the launch events you know yes everyone already can read the details of the launch right with a press release or something basic like that but um it's usually just kind of sweeten the deal um to create like this huge party and it doesn't need to be so debaucherous right with like you know booze and stuff like that it can be very humble but um it's all about like the experience right like trying to make uh, these people see the game for in 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 the way the developer wants them to see it um so yeah we 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 helped out organizing that uh lunch event um with the help of PlayStation and the uh, Activision team and uh and one of the best best memories that we wanted to do a sort of like like you know these fancy gaming online show right like we wanted to do like this E3 conference style of like you know presentation to the public um, and so um, we received the script from the the PlayStation team um, just like what what I should because they were like okay you know everything about this game you should be the host I'm like hell yeah I'll be the host and um, and I got the script and the script was so like you know I don't remember who worked on it specifically but the, the script was so boring it was very informative very like speechy and I was just no no this is not how you should present this game like this is a this is a you know, this is the next potentially next warcraft. This is the like this is gonna become something massive. Um, and so I rewrote the whole thing. Um, and we scripted it by making it in a way to that it's paired with live gameplay. Um so we had um uh at that time it was like a um a really local esports team uh that was quite known for being like the first arabic team to make it at the um call of duty uh call of duty world league and um they were quite good um and so you know and they were very hyped about destiny um and so we told them look we'll we'll get you involved um we just need to rehearse a certain script where we really need to showcase every single aspect of the game um, and so we did a little segment about Crucible where some of the pros were playing. Uh, and it was just about like literally 10 minutes after the servers launched everywhere. Um, and, you know, and this is when I was like, oh, yes, servers are holding <laughs> for the launch and, uh, and we're not going to get embarrassed uh, like in front of this live audience of almost like 120 people. Um, and yeah, we just rehearsed this beautiful th- you know, whole like segment about like how the, the life at the in, in in the last city and the tower and you know with this beautiful like you know like we didn't have fancy equipment so it's not like it was pre-recorded footage because we couldn't have that fast of an access to the to the to the game early on. Uh, we had to rely out of a memory from our experience playing the beta and the alphas, the closed alphas. And so we had to like redo this sort of like what if you would expect it at e3 when you know like when destiny was introduced and it worked out well it was probably one of the most iconic memories of my life when it comes to uh, to, to 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 my gaming career a very small thing in the you know larger scheme of my path but um uh it's definitely one of the most memorable
2: yeah it's it's so awesome so epic um that you were a part of that experience because i remember yeah. very vividly back when destiny first came out I remember um the relationship between microsoft and bungie was coming to an end halo reach was the final game that was going to be produced by bungie for the halo franchise and there was a lot of anticipation for what was coming next a lot of hype a lot of build up at that time so I'm curious, did you guys realize that the game would be as big as as it is today? Nine years ago?
1: I mean, I had I'm I probably was biased just out of just cheer, you know, pure fanboyism. <laughs> like in a in a sense it, it you know i was maybe blinded by that um i didn't see it on a sense of you know like obviously we were working with a with a, with with the distributors so you know their their biggest focus was to sell as many copies as possible around the region uh, obviously there was the first party partner that needed to make this a success because it would possibly you know sell more playstation uh, uh devices and gear and etc um so the whole you know the whole thing had a big financial impact right it's a big game it requires a lot of marketing it requires and plus um, um fun fact a futuristic sci-fi game in general as a theme is not a thing in the arab world it's very it's a very strange thing that doesn't work there for some reason i'm not sure why i've, I've never quite understood the the root of it um um uh, like there's a lot of love for other things like things like the call of duty franchise is massive there um um you have uh, a lot of a lot of sports gaming fan and stuff like that um but so 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 there was always a scare to invest so much in that game um uh, in that region because they're like oh it's a sci-fi game it's not gonna f- it's gonna fail there we shouldn't focus that much etc um, but me in a very banal, you know, childish way, I just said, nah, it's going to be the biggest thing ever. Um, and to be fair, I still don't know if it was a financial success, at least like the first destiny, especially not part of the world. Um, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but, um, I never got involved in that kind of money talk, uh, at that point. Um, uh, we always had a budget to do more stuff throughout the year um but we just never found because our expertise was mostly esports we never found really this you know like the the game was never set up for esports in the sense of like you know like these days like in modern days with like you know you could build like private uh competitive mode Uh, like there was no such thing back in destiny one so it was always difficult to pair teams together there was like some you know hustle style methods to do that but it was never sustainable to you know create an esports show or or showcase match or something like that so um but i always felt like just in in general like worldwide it was gonna be a big hit like and yes it had its massive ups and its massive downs right like that first that first post year like dlc content was just what the hell was that right and then things got better like you know like each massive expansion became like such a beautiful thing right a uh, beautiful storyline beautiful like just starting to fix all the mistakes of the original launch which was that the game had a story but didn't really have a story either like y- you couldn't still put all the pieces together it was almost like you were watching you know like one of these very obscure sci-fi movie where you have to reach like season seven (laughs) to finally understand and and you know loop everything together um and i think it's it's mostly because like the development of the first destiny like like many report um talked about you know like there's a bunch of them and and from what i remember um some of the acts, kotaku uh, polygon staff um, they all reported some sort of stories that you know there was a lot of turmoil in the original destiny 1 um, uh, development especially on the narrative side like um it almost felt like i think because they had a publisher and such a strict publisher that you know which was activision and they needed this game to ship like let's say during that financial year or whatnot. So they had to they were pro- possibly forced to really kind of wing it and, and wrap it up in the best shape they could. But again, this is just my assumption, but um given like some of the stories you hear, some of the stories that got reported and whatnot. But hey, look where we are now, right? <laughs> this is such a different story now. Like everything, we're there. We're we're really finally at a at a at a part where We can almost sense that we're closing this chapter of almost all of destiny one and destiny two to this day right with the next expansion it's gonna be like a beautiful cherry on top and then start what i feel is going to be another trilogy right um but hey who knows
2: yeah you know you mentioned so many so many things that just really make me go down memory lane you know from All of the articles that Kotaku reported on with with Destiny having content that was just um, broken up to um, build more expansions and more, you know, um, DLC content. Um, I definitely have that feel that in the original Destiny game, when the campaign ended, it, it felt very... I don't want to say empty, but it felt like there were many open ends where it felt like there could have been more closure and more finale in that uh, storyline. Um, So I definitely felt that. But like, yep. when you play through the entire Destiny collection, man, is it just so well put together
1: yeah 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 i mean yeah that's the thing you you really feel like they finally figure out how to wrap it up together in such a great way now and just finally understanding like the link between osiris and saint and you know and, and 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 you know all these iconic you know characters that we've kind of i mean we practically lived with these people like and 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 living their story for like what now Thousand, i'm so bad at math um almost six nine nine years right nine years i think yeah it's been it's been, it's been yeah it's it's just it's just nuts it's almost a decade like a decade ago think about what was going on in the world a decade ago um, so yeah, it's quite a, it's quite a journey, I think for, for Bungie and really like massive props on everyone that worked on this game, whether they're still working on the game or have worked on the game, no matter what it is, like, you know, um, everyone po- probably busted their, whatever they have um um and uh, to, to 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 make this game launch and to to make this universe and to really put all these pieces together and you know it's like everything in this gaming industry is just it's almost almost a surprise every time a game ship like in in, in especially these days with with all the complication and you know, and this mix of people working from home and and working in studios, and 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 you know, and and geopolitical turmoil affecting everything. But um, in general, it's ever always like that. It's it's just it feels like that thing got baked and just like tossed at the last minute, just like right at the finish line. And it's either you just crash after the finish line or you just. You know get picked up by the crowd and cheered for right um and uh yeah it's quite a it's quite an energetic industry that's for sure
2: it's 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 quite incredible for them to be able to like bring everything together and it's like i think this time of year now since they changed the cadence of content releases it's a very exciting time because like we're finally starting to see what bungie is bringing to life what they've been working on for several years at least right and it's there's there's a level of excitement with a bungee game that i don't think i've ever had with any other title yeah i get excited for other games i get excited for pokemon games i get excited for uh, different nintendo titles i will be very excited for zelda i will give you that but (laughs) there's something about destiny no, know, like I planned the whole week around that game and the experience of yeah, yeah, spending
1: yeah. Same, time in same, my, same. my team. Any any kind of free time, that's pretty much it. I mean, you know, like you, you would assume that most people that work in in gaming industry, no matter what part of the gaming industry it is, right? You would assume like there's a lot of gaming involved, right? There's a lot of like enjoyment of playing game but like there's literally almost never any good time to play when you work in the gaming industry it's the um you will probably play a lot if you were you know like uh, a test analysis or, or or you know a quality assurance um staffer and uh, uh, or any sort of that department um uh but it's not the same right it's kind of like it's logged you have to you know report uh bugs or or not you have to try to break things you try to you try to find a solution or the root of the problem you have to explain how did we get to that bug and how to recreate that so that the developer can find the flaw you know in the process um and you know like and and so until now like i think ever since the first destiny um i've it's almost like religiously haven't played much more of another game but destiny um except you know like in the downtime of the season when i pretty much wrap things up and and there's nothing left which is usually like two to three weeks before the end Uh, i'm not as hardcore as most people on this podcast probably but um you know like i'm just a junkie for um it's maybe not junky. it's a bit of derogative term at this point but um i'm I'm very ocd when it comes to my um let's say virtual life um maybe not at home like i don't have these ticks where i have to move certain things at a certain spot in the room or something like that but uh, i'm like that when it comes to to everything virtual and and in destiny it's just it, it fills that need to satisfy right that um that need to complete a lot of stuff at the same time and i don't i I used to have that with World of warcraft and it's one of the it was like destiny 2 and destiny 1 is what world of warcraft was to me in the first maybe i would say six to nine year of World of warcraft right from from vanilla all the way to i would say post cataclysm onward um and um and just playing Destiny is just very easy for me, even in, in time where there's barely any time. Maybe my little break is just half an hour between, you know, a bunch of like routine calls for work and whatnot. Um, and I can still squeeze like a couple of crucible games, a gambit match or two, like just, you know, do my pinnacles. Um, and then later on throughout the weekend or something, I just, you know, I I try to join the clan and and, and play some raids, um and, and just but mainly, it's triumphs. I just love to collect all that stuff, and I, I this is like the second biggest praise I'm gonna give to the Bungie team. Is not the Bungie team alone, but the Bungie merchandise team, and and you know the Bungie reward team for really like knowing how to hook me up and being addicted to really working my way so hard into this game to really get all these collectible, all these part of these physical representation of um your your kind of love for this for this brand for this ip and for for you know your brand love right um and and so you know like i want to get as much of the triumph seal pins and like you know all the uh, try to get at least the the the, the window the, the raid within the first week so i can get the raid jacket and stuff like that so um And and I there's no other games that can do that to you. Like yes, there's a couple of stuff with virtual uh, virtual gifts and whatnot, but it's it's not the same, right? Uh, It's not the same as what uh, they managed to achieve at Bungie.
2: Yeah, no, I think you're so right. Uh, I think that what Bungie has been able to achieve has been pretty remarkable. The game. I mean, it's been over nine years. We've been playing this for almost a decade, and you know you have different titles and different IPs that are trying to get basic things figured out with their games like i recall a lot of players were uh discussing how the call of duty ux was just not very well put together and yeah. you know you're you're thinking about an ip that's been around for such a long time yet bungie is able to bring everything together in such a unique way and i think that's why yeah. we play destiny the space magic it's the lore it's the mystique it's the
1: space magic exactly the, yeah the,
2: the weapons the weapons actually feel special like i the, actually the, still to me
1: to to, to 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 me the weapons are almost like their own ca-
0: like their own characters
1: um maybe not all of them obviously but you know like they all have a story they all have some sort of lore some sort of connection to the world right you got like the you got the different foundries that kind of act like sort of sponsors <laughs> right um sponsors of mass of you know weapons of destruction um but also like all these exotics and like they're beautiful references to things there are you know in 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 what is in the destiny 2 universe the the ancient times right of humanity um uh you know pre-golden age pre uh uh pre-discovery of the traveler and stuff like that it's all these old stuff right what what they think is the antiquity of of what you would think is destiny 2 these days uh or like the period where people are living in destiny 2 um and, and it's that, it's that constant connection, you know, like, um, when, when, um, I forgot the name of that, uh, content, you know, um, content drop, uh, it was the one with, uh, Ada and the foundries and, and the story about, you know, like you have your tune, right. Uh, the, the, uh, the iconic fusion rifle, like sort of tracking missile fusion rifle, little Toaster hand thingy. Um, but you had Le Monac, right? And 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 for me to see like this beautiful bow, like I was always a fan of bow, just there was always this admiration for that weapon. in in general when I was when I was a kid, I always wanted to learn archery and whatnot. And and when they when they added bows in the game, it was like exactly what I wanted. It's exactly what I wanted in FPS. Like, yes, there was bows in um in crisis and and the franchise and and as well as far cry but nothing feels as magical as using a bow in in um, um in in destiny it's just it it just feels right like there is no other game that has this beautiful like mechanic, uh, uh, visual effects, like the whole sensation, the vibration in your controller, the, the really like the feel of the pull of the, of the, of the string on the, on, on, on the body of the. Um, of the bow is just such a beautiful experience and to, to get a gun that is called the Monarch, right. Which was basically is a reference to the, the name of the Monarch butterfly, right. Which has all this symbolism and like linked to, to, to frame, to French, you know, like um, Renaissance era kind of history. And, you know, I'm part French. So I always have this sort of admiration for that old culture and like what the French, were back in those days and you know no, minus I obviously wondered,
2: i kind of wondered from the way that you say le monarque."
1: le monarch wondered. yeah to- <laughs>
2: that's, that's, you you have to be french to be able to pronounce it like that so it's
1: true it's 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 a uh, you know there's a f- fun fact about the french is that um the if you notice most French, it's, it's a very strange fact that I've learned. I don't know why I learned that during my uh, work in localization and translation and all that. Um, is that uh, the reason why most old, older uh, French have a lot of wrinkles around uh, their lips is because the french language uh, phonetically utilize a lot of these um phonetics where you have to close your mouth almost like you know like um, uh trying to do the bubble uh effect or like as if you were a fish right so there's a lot of o, U, U, like all, all these very o-shaped uh sound and so um yeah it takes practice to to master pronunciation in french that's for sure uh. so I'm,
2: I'm curious uh nazi yeah. how has destiny um evolved and where we were oh. back then and where we are today um
1: i can't talk much about like let's say the more core technical team right like the um, code developer level kind of so code engineers um stuff like that uh balancing and whatnot so more like on a programming uh point of like vertical i would say of the development uh, team um th- the thing that i've noticed the most is really this beautiful legacy of community um like community management vertical that bungee uh like when 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 it was 2014 um uh, i worked a tiny bit with deej um mainly because we wanted to have a a, a message from um the, the Bungie team to to speak uh, a little bit uh to, to to the attendee of the Destiny uh one launch event uh, in Dubai and um and you know just working with him and, and 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 hearing his passion and watching the script and and how he i wouldn't say he winged it like obviously there was a script that was written and whatnot but you know there was still um this genuine feel that he, not, not it's not someone else that wrote it for him. It it's, it was him, right? And it was it was full of emotion and really, um, uh, very eloquent and whatnot. And 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 Deej was this you know this icon of of the community, right? And and how everyone knew Papa Dij and 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 all his shenanigans and and whatnot. But he kind of held things together, right? And it's not easy community management, like it, you it's probably one of the part of my job that I loathe the more, uh, the most um, one of the experience that because it's, it's, it's gruesome. You get death threats, you get um, really creepy messages. um, You get all sorts of stuff that, that you're not supposed to read like things like you know go 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 kill yourself and that kind of vibe and it it's not hard you know it it it, it, it sorry it's not it's not easy to to read these things and when you're when especially when let's say you're not mentally in a right place and to be attacked like that um and that whole especially you know these days it's it's never one or two person it becomes like this sort of mob mentality unified under this sort of love of hate towards a, a common enemy, no matter what they think of this person, whether he did something, you know, whether this person did something wrong or not, um, they just see it as being wrong and they they need to, but it's it's the way of expressing that anger is differentiated between different people. And um, it's it's that extreme, right? Uh, like everything in life, you don't wanna end up in the extreme, it can be extreme left, it can be extreme right. You gotta be a little bit moderate, right? Um, and it it it's just it it was very interesting um and also um a learning experience from like a perspective of seeing it from the outside as just a consumer, right? As just a person as a fan, to see this sort of like slow path of you know, Dij growing than Um, um, damage came along and became almost practically the Deej, right. And, um, as if it's a title, but you you get what I mean. Um, Um, it's just this, this, this path of growth. Um, and it's always interesting to, to, to me to see that, that even at the, the, let's say the pinnacle of their career, the sad reality is that there's not much after that you can like it's very rare for a community manager to end up in a in a in a position that is higher than let's say head of community management or something you know like on a on a really high level but like that's it like there's nothing else after that you, it's quite rare to hear of community manager that makes his way up to let's say a c suite um um a level of 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 uh position like i don't know ceo or ceo or something like that and it's 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 a bit sad because a lot of these people have a lot of talent um and it's just sad that in general the industry sees this position like many other positions let's say at that constitutional hierarchy of how the industry sees them um like kind of like almost putting community managers and and quality insurance people and sort of like support center people like around that line of like like almost like oh these are the untouchable it's just it's a very wrong way of seeing like almost this sad cast system of of the gaming roles. Um and 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 I think this is this is what's pushing I feel like this is what's happening with most, you know, of these big iconic community managers that there's nothing else to do other than what I'm doing. Like, I can keep on climbing and get more, you know, money raised, but I will never get another challenge. I will never get to expand learning about um, uh, another skill to become, let's say, I don't know, a developer or a narrative writer or something like that. And it's um, and it just saddens me every time I see another you know, big community manager um leaving uh, uh the Bungie team.
2: Yeah, and it's interesting you mention that because I didn't even consider that as a as a factor. But you know, we just recently had DMG announce his departure from Bungie yeah. just a few weeks back. Um and I'm I'm curious, do you think that this exact thing has something to do with him not continuing with Bungie? Yeah this year
1: yeah i mean uh, that's it it's 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 probably probably the only way to get another challenge something that is different than the community management vertical was to go to another studio and and get let's say something some position in the um spectrum of communication and 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 marketing um and you know that that's that's just a sad reality of how this industry has been kind of almost Created these sort of like default things that um that that they just are okay with, right and it shouldn't be okay. maybe these people have the chance to be much more than just a community manager. Could become a, a producer or an assistant producer to start and 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 really um bring a lot to the table um other than monitoring and, and managing monitoring you know um um player sentiment and 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 these kind of metrics and 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 reporting on that um and sadly becoming this weird shield for the for the brand um or this uh, uh target right uh, for all the attacks and whatnot
2: I feel like I now have a much renowned appreciation for community management.
1: Oh, you should. You should all do that. Everyone, like just take a breather. Just think about it. Think about who this person is, what position they're in. What are they here for? This is what they're here for. They're here to listen, but they're not here to get attacked because that attack is not going to Bring any change to the table, even if you're angry about whatever it is it could be s b m m it could be uh, nerves and and buffs and whatnot. but at the end of the day, they are just a messenger, and they do not deserve a hate, especially on a personal level of 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 trying to you know uh uh everyone at one point in that team has um has been attacked uh privately or publicly and it's it's just um, um just a humble uh you know uh, ask is is just be kind uh, before you 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 lash out on an innocent person
2: yeah it's, it's always important to recognize that the person behind the account even if you're on your computer it's a real person right and people have yeah. feelings And you don't really understand what somebody else may be dealing with on the other side. It's important to be mindful of that and to be, be respectful to each other, you know, and recognize that we're all trying, you know, uh, I think that the fact that we have destiny in the form that it is in given everything that has happened over the last couple of years. Like, it's a pretty incredible feat if you really think about it. So I think that there is a level of gratitude and appreciation that is due for both the developer team, but also the community team that has to yeah. pretty much answer.
1: Swallow. I just have to swallow all that hate, yeah. Yeah, sadly. Uh,
2: and and sometimes we don't realize how harsh and mean people can be in, in, yeah. in, in general. And I, I think it's yeah. an important reminder for sure. Yeah. So, exactly, Nazi. I want to go back to you for a bit because um, I'm I'm curious. You've been in the video games industry for over 14 years. You've been through so much. You've worked in so many yeah. disciplines. What are some areas of video games in the games industry that's really important to you personally?
1: Um, I think to me, it was probably linked to you know my own personal experience as 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 a as as a gamer um is that i never felt that there was a decent representation of who i i, I am uh, as a person and um, um and it's also a bit confusing because like i was born and raised in france um and french was my first language um then moved to uh the Arab world and ended up in Lebanon and um and obviously it was a big cultural shock going from a French culture to a Lebanese culture um yes the language uh, there was a common language French is is commonly spoken there uh but I didn't I didn't know Arabic and um and and learning Arabic also made me learn a little bit about my Arabic roots right I almost kind of like Um, because I was never really into it Um, uh, when I lived in France the only other Arab big person that was related to me was well basically my father Um, and um, there's so much you can do to really connect to your root with just one person right you need you need this sort of ecosystem and you need to learn more and so uh, I just never felt like there was a good representation of Arabs um, in general in in uh, in gaming. Um, they were usually always the the bad guy, right? The, the 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 enemy in a Call of Duty or whatever terrorist or just you know the de facto stereotype that you would see in most um, entertainment media, right? Um, a terrorist, a, a person, uh, dark skin in the desert maybe a camel involved you know all the typical and pardon the language but typical bullshit that you would expect <laughs> from seeing you know this sort of representation and um and that was the biggest aspect that I wanted to make a change uh when I got into into gaming is that I think I wanted to really help um I, maybe I was naive a little bit in the beginning but I really wanted to help other developers to to really don't not do these kind of mistakes, right? To not do these really um, disrespectful, um, you know, uh, stereotypes and 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 go with the you know the typical things like oh, another Arabic themed game. Let's make him look like an Aladdin. Uh, there's some sort of carpet somewhere and like just just so much you know like stereotypes they're just like so cliche these days and 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 shouldn't happen at that point Um, like you know like any other culture in the world Um, and that's what I wanted to do I really wanted to work a little bit more on helping bring this diversity not just it became it started first with arabic but then it became more than that it became just about in general minorities about every everyone and every culture that is the least represented in the gaming industry um like you can you cannot count the sheer amount of games that have a lead you know caucasian western uh uh uh, hero right uh, but you can possibly count on two hands an arabic lead as a in a game right um that is not somehow also shady or 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 mean or uh a little bit cocky or uh or just a little bit too violent or something like that so um and 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 this is what I kind of love throughout all these years is that I got to at so much of that learning from multiple culture and from multiple languages as well, um, because I always had this love for languages and uh, you know and and um, you know i 'm a proud polygot myself, myself. I speak multiple languages uh, uh pretty fluently and um, it, it 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 helped me bring this extra this this extra touch right this little this little fingerprint of of my culture into all these games, whether it was just something simple like a little, um, let's say, graffiti in in, in uh, one of those uh, spray uh, sprays in, in in Overwatch, for example, or a player icon or uh something that was uh uh linked to the 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 month of Ramadan uh in Islamic culture um but also goes as far as like creating stories and backstories about characters that have uh that are still connected to their real roots right in real life like if 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 it was a true arab what would they say what kind of like you know um emotes they would do what kind of uh, word uh, or voice scripts they would say uh, in their home languages you know and and working on Overwatch was quite a, a nice thing because we got to do that we got to work on so many aspects of cultures uh, we worked on like a Dutch a, a Dutch, um, a Dutch uh, themed uh, character which was Sigma uh, we worked on a bunch of other characters we, bought, and we worked on skins that recognized like the Egyptian Air Force and uh, with Farah so it, it was really really a nice and it's i think one of the most um rewarding aspect of my work is, is is doing these things it's just representing properly um let's say minority culture which is a bit weird to say because like they're not technically minorities most most of these minority cultures are actually some of the largest in the world right um and so yeah i think that's the uh i would say the cherry on top. <laughs>
2: that's you know it's it's such an important thing to uh, make sure that all players can access your game wherever they are in the world so i I, I think localization is a very um important aspect of of the video game space now I'm, i'm curious do you think that the overall industry is doing a good job at supporting localization across you know the various important languages that need to be
1: i think i'm gonna preach the same wording that i've been preaching in many other um conferences and panels and and whatnot is that um there's been a lot of good progress that that's for sure um obviously languages is the first entry barrier to help your game you know tap into a new market and, and a new culture or a new population um and so you know uh, especially in 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 part of the worlds where you know English literacy is quite low, like for example, in Turkey, it's like barely six percent of the population have a decent um English literacy uh and so how would they consume games right um if you don't localize in Turkish, you probably won't will fail launching your game there um so you know these kind of languages now are becoming more de facto or like they're becoming more a default like back in the days. I think most of the default languages were, uh, were called the FIGs. Um, it's basically French, Italian, a German, and a Spanish. So like the core European languages. And then they would add um, other languages, uh, which were primarily, uh, let's say, um, traditional or simplified Chinese. Um, Japanese Korean and Russian uh, because obviously uh, Russian language is quite uh, massive Um, later on started like the next generation of what new languages were starting added and and I hated this term but they used to call them exotic languages which is Again, very unfair, considering the sheer amount of people that uh, ta- uh, s- speak these languages. Um, but that's another topic anyway. Um, so, like, Arabic started becoming uh, really a language that they thought would be a great tool to 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 tap more into the Arab world um, in general. Because, like, uh, you know, like these days, there's like almost 2 billion people... Um, um that kind of know arabic in some in some shape or form it's the fifth most spoken language in the world it 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 it, uh it beat uh french a couple of years ago i think last year technically um and so it's quite uh it's quite a, a a spoken language in the world but it's still very much like the least used in in the gaming industry or the least localized to in the gaming industry um with the example of Destiny, in this case, is, is this game was never localized in Arabic, whether it was Destiny One or Two, um, and um, and I think maybe if they did that, maybe it would have have uh, had a bigger impact in in, uh, in 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 the Arabic world, and I think now at this point it's a bit too late. Um, because Arabic is a very challenging language. Um, first of all, it's not read the same way as most Latin languages like English. Um, so it's not read from left to right, but it's read from right to left, um, similar to Hebrew, for example. Um, and which obviously, when you think about it, already it's probably you know yourself um, and 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 the, and the listener, it's probably scrambling your head right now to think about. What? So, what does that mean for you know common things of reading, right? So, like for example, the way how pages are treated, right? Like you know, in an English book, you you flip the page from you know the right side to the left side, while in Arabic it's the opposite side. Um, so everything changes, and so things in games have to change to adapt to to that kind of language need. Um, and so you get to a situation where you know. Uh, localizing a game like destiny will probably require years because you have to also adapt your the the user interface to support that right because like things like uh let's say if you're opening a page and looking at uh the combat uh, combat bow uh in the inventory it wouldn't make sense for the icon and the combat bow and whatever it is uh, here care of needs or something like that um it, it wouldn't be on the left side it would be positioned on the right side Uh, almost like a mirror you have to think about it almost like a mirror on a ui perspective and things like user experience also change because um you know um yes and no are not positioned like by default where yes is on the left side and no is on the right side it's the opposite way so all these things have to be taken in consideration and also you have the more advanced aspect of it is that does the game engine support that language Uh, because most game engines especially um game engines created in-house so not uh let's say proprietary one um so like in the, uh, not, not nothing like in the case of fortnite that uses unreal engine which is quite uh which you can obtain a license and start building games with it um these tool sets sometimes are not built or most of the time actually are not built uh to support a, a language that um is read from um uh, right to left and it also doesn't support Um, the usage of two different style of languages so a right to left and a left to right like so basically let's say you would say something like the the first part of the sentence is in arabic then you have a a brand name in the middle like destiny in english and then you continue the sentence in arabic uh, on the left side um, some engines just completely scramble and don't know where to position the English word in comparison to the rest of the sentence, which is in Arabic. So it's quite a challenge. And I don't think, I don't think I'll be alive probably <laughs> when I see Destiny in Arabic, whatever it's going to be, Destiny 3, 4 or 5. Uh, but that would be a good surprise.
2: So interesting how much effort and work did not consider the effort that it would take to localize yeah. a game into Arabic, for example. Yeah. So uh, I think that it's really interesting yeah. how much effort And
1: yet, yeah. Yeah, you also have to think about all the common stuff, right? So like even jokes. Like there's a whole expertise in localizing jokes because you also like a joke if you just translate it as is, it's not gonna work in most languages. You have to find what's the equivalence of that you know, com- comical, uh, comedy factor of, of that joke and what's the equivalent of it in the other language. It might be a completely different joke, but it still needs to hit that impact, right? Um, and it's quite a, an interesting part of the, the gaming industry and there's always so many jokes about how, how bad it can be, right? Uh, especially um, translating um, uh, from Asian languages into Western languages um, can be... Sometimes, almost a ridicule uh, stories. Like, there's been so many stories about like the the original Final Fantasy translated in French, and some some words were translated, but yet when you start reading it, it had like some weird sexual int- int- intentions, which was not the case in the original writing. In, let's say in Japanese. Um, but yeah, I mean that's that's language for you, right? This is the reason why we have lost in translation.
2: So I'm curious. Going to a slightly uh, different topic. What are some little known things to common gamers about the video games industry that would help us to better understand game development? How
1: difficult it is? <laughs> <And> how difficult.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: I, think, um, I think the, the, the most um, alarming let's say the 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 most important thing for, for 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 gamers to understand is that um one game development is more than just coding um and it involves so many parties and some parties are not really clicking with others and it causes a lot of friction right like like any sort of herd mentality you're you're all working towards the same goal but you know, there is microherds, right? Um, sometimes they work well together. Sometimes they don't, and so this sort of um, fight of egos and 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 you know and beliefs and values that they want that that these groups want to stand for um, sometimes cause too much friction to a point where you know the whole unity kind of derails, and um, and I think understanding that already opens a little bit more to the madness of what the gaming industry looks like um on a perspective of working because it's always it almost feels like every day is like trying to dodge a bullet there's always something that happens that breaks whatever it is it doesn't need to be that crazy alarming to a point where i don't know a server is down nobody can play the game it can be as little as If I was in the shoes of a Blizzard employee back uh, after, let's say, after the days I left there, um, um, you know, the CEO being trialed for misconduct and and sexual harassment and whatnot. um, This kind of bullet doesn't really particularly affect you. Like, you were probably not one of the victims, but it still affects you and affects your morals, right? um that i am working for this person how can i you know like there is a lot of people that felt like how can i feel that i'm proud working and and helping this person make that much money and and be successful and be you know known like this person should not be on this pedestal anymore um and 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 this is a really difficult thing to be feeling and to be dealing with emotionally, mentally, even physically to some person aspect um, and still manage to do your job and launch a game or sustain a game launch and and, and game life um, or in the case of a game like destiny life service game where everything you're seeing now, whatever it is, let's say the upcoming season, it was probably two years maybe three years in the making this, this, it's a, it's a really long cog in the machine that is just cannot uh, afford any sort of like tiny little derail. And, and so, so it goes back to the point that I was trying to make is that try to be Thoughtful for these people. The majority of people are working really hard, and sometimes they're working way more than they should, and maybe to a certain point illegally more than they should with crunch time and stuff like that. It's just not, it shouldn't be the norms and, and whatnot. But um uh so the, the, the community in general need to really understand that if if a developer is venting about something on the internet, it doesn't have to be about you. It has to be about this person being also a human being with feelings that has his own private life that is not linked to the to the game he's working on that you're a big fan of. Um, You have to understand that these are real lives and not just a Twitter profile that you're, you know, sending a troll meme or just something that might hurt them or might propulse them into a darker place uh, in their mind. Excellent. Sorry for ending this on a, on a, on a bad note.
2: <laughs> you know, it's, such an important, it's, it's such an important topic because, you know, I remember when the whole Activision thing happened uh, with, I think it was Bobby Kotick. Yeah. And a lot of people were upset, myself included. Like I did not buy the Call of Duty game. I pretty much boycotted anything that had Activision on it at that time. Because I didn't want to support such mm-hmm. bad actions on the part of leadership of any company, but it also does make you really think about the developers who are actually in the position where they're working for this person, and they don't really have maybe a choice necessarily,
1: yeah, right because yeah they they have, they have a family to feed, yeah, yeah, right. exactly, and yeah. Not everyone has that privilege to say screw it I quit and um I'll do things on my own like 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 in a sense like I did.
2: How do we how do we make things better as an industry? Like as as a gamer, how can I better impact how game developers are treated? Is there any type of answer that we can have that can allow for us to have a better future for everybody developers and gamers alike
1: or better better dialogue i think um i think it's the same saying that i would i would be using if it wasn't in that specific aspect of just the gaming industry is to it's just to think about what you're going to say and assume you're saying this to yourself right would you accept it no matter what the consequences were or no matter what you might have done, would you say it to yourself? If the answer is no, then don't say it. Yeah. Don't harass, don't attack, don't... You want to have a, a decent dialogue? There's methods of dialogues. It's it's something that, that needs compassion, that needs understanding, that needs listening. And you cannot um, just, you know attack 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 until you think you are getting what you need out of this you know virtual relationship that you that you have with with uh another person that you probably don't know so much about in his private life um and and i think that's probably the start um the rest is pretty much a lot of self-restraint the problem is like and, and in the time, in these days, with with social media and everything, everyone wants to kind of have its five minutes of fame, no matter what it is, whether it is shit posting, uh, doing a meme, whatnot. I mean, I'm I'm I I'm gonna confess, I've done it many times as well. Everyone is trying to get this sort of um, beating, this sort of. <laughs> or wanted this sort of like understanding or recognition for whatever it is. Um, And, and, but it shouldn't be at the detriment of someone else. Um, If you, let's say, if, if, if someone, you know, succeeded and was uh, got an award, great. Either, 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 you know, either don't say anything or congratulate, but, you you shouldn't be going around and trying to um trying to 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 put that person down
2: No, my my parents taught me you don't have something nice to say to someone don't say it exactly and i try to keep that to my also like my levels of communication with others i try to be respectful with people and try to be mindful um, I try to report critically. Like I, 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 you know, if if the game has issues, I, I I don't want to sugarcoat, you know, because I think that there is a level of responsibility in reporting fairly. But I also think that you know we have a responsibility to do so in a respectful way. You know, there's definitely times when we're going to disagree on things, and that's fine. But yeah. There's a way to do it respectfully, and to make everyone's life just a little bit more easier, right? Exactly. So, I'm um, I'm curious, Nuzzi. What are your thoughts on the last couple of years of Destiny Two, from the original Warmind campaign to where we are today with Season of the Seraph?
1: Oh, um, I think they managed to really put us in a really nice and good solid routine um that yes might feel a bit boring for the more hardcore players that already you know can practically grind everything within a month yes there is still some time gated stuff and and that you have to accomplish but you know like uh, the the let's say the elite uh, (laughs) destiny 2 player can practically reach that within the first month if not a month and a half right um but the routine is there and it's i think they found the right solution in terms of pacing of like um seasonal content plus also um you know these uh sort of like yearly event right uh guardian games uh uh whether they're good or not um we're not here to debate that but um that that whole pace is really good to to almost practically never feel bored about playing the game there's always a goal to achieve right um and whether it is your love for the the narrative aspect and wanting to understand more the lore and the story and what's going on or you just you know aiming for a more goal challenge right like going for now with like the competitive, uh, mode and having the ranking and trying to reach, you know, platinum and whatnot, or, um, I don't know, trying to guild some triumph. Like there's always a sort of good challenge for everyone, uh, whether you are a casual or not, you know, and that's the, um, that's the, that's the good part of the change. I would say in the past uh, couple of years, because it, there was always a sense that between, a major like especially when they started the whole seasonal like you know like roughly two to three months content um uh, this is when really things started to to form in a sense like maybe yes some seasons weren't as great as others but still it was still a a, a decent change from one season to the other whether it's on a, a meta point of view or just in you know additional gameplay perspective new content etc and definitely those crazy yearly this the expansions have been getting better and better and like i don't expect anything than the best from from the next one
2: and nazi to wrap things up yeah such a great conversation so thank you so so much for your time
1: thank you for having me
2: really Uh, but what are you most excited about for the future of destiny 2 with lightfall and beyond with the final shape And the seasons that we'll be playing.
1: I think the for me it's the narrative. I just I I I love having a good ending to a massive, let's say, lore chapter in, in, in the Destiny universe. And I feel like the year of Lightfall is gonna be that. It's gonna be really, really, really good. And it's 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 gonna be a really massive transition to, let's say, the next milestone um in 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 the in the narrative aspect of of the destiny 2 uh, franchise and i'm really excited for that like more than anything i guess everyone is loving the new guns and the new armor and the new dungeons and new raids but it's really the narrative aspect that i'm the most excited about it's such a good story so far and it's um you know it's never been um from character development to to discovering new universes and new planets and new moons and etc it's just it's so good like i I, i'm I'm so excited for the future
2: nazi thank you so so much for joining me today and um, thank you again our guardians learn more about you
1: well i mostly ramble around uh as i do here on <laughs> this podcast uh mostly on my twitter which is pretty easy it's uh, at Nazih ferris uh, so basically first name last name there's not many of me around um um and uh and there's also my official website which has all my uh, social link in case um which is also nazi um and that should be it pretty much
2: awesome well thank you yeah. so much for your time and um, you too. hope you have an amazing amazing day and week ahead and yeah. we can't wait to play destiny with you and to uh, learn more about what is to come with destiny to Ball. so thank you so yeah. much for joining and we hope you have a great great Course. rest of your day yeah
1: see you star side guardians